This is holding down the fort. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Holding Down the Fort. Today we have Clemson University assistant coach, Philip Pohl. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you so much for joining us. Jim, thanks for having me, man. Yes, sir. And so uh, we're going to start off in a place probably about 2001, if everyone can rewind their heads back to that point. Phil Pohl shows up to Cooperstown Elementary School with a John Deere hat, a North Face vest, and a nice undershirt that's probably polo. Phil, talk to me about moving from Bakersfield, California to Cooperstown, New York in a, uh, in a, such a young age, please. Dude, I'll tell you what, you say 2001, it's hard to believe that was 22 years ago already. Um, but yeah, it was a definite change culture shock going from Bakersfield, California to good old Cooperstown, New York, weather being first and foremost, big change for us, um, as a family, but yeah, I, I went from being like, hey, it's 80 degrees and sunny all year round. Uh, oh, man, what is this white stuff that's all over the ground still in April? So big adjustment there for sure. Um, really good experience for us. You can hear my son running through here. But good good experience for me as a kid and family, just being able to move to a smaller town. Um, Jim, obviously, you and I were teammates. Like I think our class size, we ended up graduating with 90-something kids. So super, super small, close community. Um, turned out to be a great thing for me and my family. Absolutely, dude. So what what promotes the idea of uh, of Bruce Pohl moving from Bakersfield, California out to Cooperstown? What is the thing that kind of moves us out to our area, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, both my mom and dad grew up in northwest New Jersey area. So uh, the move was really dominated by just trying to get closer to family. Uh, both aunts and uncles on mom and dad's side were, were back still probably 90% were still on the East coast, especially that Northeast area. So, uh, my, out of college, my dad had taken a job out in San Diego working for an oil company, pipeline company. And then what he thought was probably going to be a few couple of years turned into 10, 20 years. And then, uh, I think my mom and dad were like, Hey, it's time for us. We got myself at the time I was eight, nine years old. My brother was 10, 11 years old. So they just said, Hey, we got to get these kids back closer to their family so we can be a little, you know, tighter. Cause both my mom and dad are one of seven. So big, big families on both sides. So definitely a family driven move. Well, that that's awesome. So we're, we're leaving Bakersfield, California. We're coming back to Cooperstown. Talk to me a little bit about as obviously we get to Cooperstown, we have the pursuities in the area, right? Where they have the Cooperstown dreams park. They put kids like us on teams during the summer where it was, Oh my gosh, there's such a good experience to play for at such a young age. 
give me a little bit about what uh what Lou offered you and uh and myself obviously as uh, as young athletes. Yeah, Lou uh Perjudi and his family like obviously the name is synonymous in Cooperstown for that, you know, Dreams Park kind of getting that dream of his and making it into a reality but for us like i know you mentioned we both have the opportunity to play there um i, I mean amazing experience for kids that if you really think about it we were out of our league uh being from small town new york and then getting to play some of these kids that were playing travel ball from the time they were eight years old uh you know us kind of filling in we i know we went as a team what year was that have it been 2000 shoots four two five? three yeah two three, three four right so we, i mean we, we went as some of us i think we're 11 year olds playing against 12 year old kids some of us were 12 but uh I, th- I think that was probably the first really badass experience for us as baseball players where you're like hey this isn't just show up 15 minutes for the game put your spikes on and, and roll out there it was hey we get to stay as a team in the dorms and you got your coaches staying with you and you're doing this 24 hours a day. Um, you really felt like that was the first experience of being like a pro baseball player. You know, there was a full week of straight baseball. So uh, what Lou did, you know, with his vision and dream and turned into reality and then allowing us as a small time Cooperstown team, I think we hopped in as team number 49 where normally they ran 48 teams a week. Um, I mean, for me, that was one of the coolest like the first coolest experience for me on baseball field at that age. Of course, of course. And like at that time, right, we've got the, the Bryce Harper's, the Mike Trout's like guys who are coming through, through our town that we don't even realize who are coming through our town. Right. So all of a sudden we get to run with the Honolulu all-stars. We get to run through boys, of baseball travel team. We get to be with the South Florida sting Let's talk about like getting into Syracuse and some of that travel stuff that you got to go through after that young level. Talk to me a little bit about high school travel and like, obviously we had to go so far away for our area, right? So everybody is like, well, where's the best place to travel to? And everyone in the state who does that now, even right, like, in 2023, it's like, hey, what's the best place to travel to to get the most uh, maximized experience out of it? Talk to me a little bit about the Syracuse Junior Sky Chiefs and what they offered to you guys with Ross and everybody. Yeah, no, um, it was great. And, and honestly, like all that credit goes to Dale Petrosky. So Dale, um, we played with Dale's son, Frank uh, Petrosky, who was a year older than us, Jim. And Dale at the time was the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. So you talk about you know, having a Rolodex of beyond belief, Dale pretty much knew everybody, uh, not only in the state of New York, but like all over the country. So when it came to baseball, you know, having the president of the baseball hall of fame on your side is never going to be a bad thing, regardless if you're five years old or you're 35 years old, you know? So I think that's really where it starts is, is with Mr. P there. Uh, so I know you talk about the Rosses over there. That was our, our first connection, I would say with Syracuse baseball. Um, I don't remember how it begun, honestly, but I remember, uh, that Dale knew um, the Ross family and somehow we got hooked up. It was myself and Frank Petrosky and Ryan Ross. And then it was my dad, Dale and Ryan's dad. And they were like, Hey, we need to do some kind of more of a, you know, kind of competitive summer baseball team for our kids who are, you know, all really excited about playing. They all want to play maybe at the next level. They're all pretty decent. And, you know, we mentioned Cooperstown being a small town, nothing against Cooperstown. It just didn't have anything really to offer at that point other than Pony League or American Legion, which, I mean, that was great. Um, But I think we were just looking for something a little different, maybe a little more competitive, a little more 
the ability to travel uh, really across the state, possibly out of state. So that's where it really started was with, with Dale um, getting hooked up with the Ross family. And then from there, um, I think Frank and I did a tryout for the Empire State Games. And that's where we met um, Dickie Woodridge and Tim Alexander, who were really plugged into the Syracuse baseball scene. So Frank and I tried out there. Um, we ended up making the club. And then from there is kind of where the relationship started with Dickie and Tim. That's where the Sports Zone Chiefs was. They were really just getting that off the ground. I want to say they've been running that for at a, like kind of a small level for just a handful of years. And that's when it was like, hey, we had a bunch of guys who are right around our age, really talented guys. Um, talk about guys like Patrick Corbin was a part of that program. Uh, Matt Wessinger who's coaching at Wake Forest now. He played at St. John's. So we had a, a lot of guys in that area, whether it was Syracuse. I know we had a few from Rochester, myself and Frank from, from Cooperstown. So really, you know, you talk about a three and a half hour driving radius. And um, yeah, we, it, it just kind of just fell into place. We had some some good leaders, some good players, and uh, some parents who are willing to spend the time with their kids. I know, shoot, we spent hours and hours and hours driving back and forth to Syracuse sometimes four or five times a week in the summertime. So, um, but yeah, that's really where it started. It's, it's probably with Dale and, um, you know, like I said, Chris Ross and the Ross family, Ryan's dad. And then from there, it just blossomed and grew into something that turned out to be pretty sweet. Well, yeah. And I remember uh, myself and Dougie Klein, um, hopping in on Saturday mornings headed for Onondaga community college. Yeah. And it was at the time, right. It was like, Hey, this is the biggest opportunity that kids from our area really had to good instruction to people who are at the next level. And like we drive two and a half hours on a Saturday morning and it was $10 a kid. Like yep. explain to me a little bit, like how you put into Clemson now as a, as an assistant coach, like, Hey, the, the value, the, the giving back to the community, talk to me a little bit about what you guys do at your school to, to cater to kids like us who might be coming from a, a little further away in the, uh, the Carolinas to you guys. Yeah. Uh, well, like you said, you mentioned the, the Onondaga community college baseball camps. Again, there's kind of a, a back backdoor connection with the Ross family. Um, Chris Caffelin was the head coach at Onondaga community college at the time who had had some experience coaching kind of all over the country whatever reason was at Onondaga, but really knew his baseball. And uh, we kind of heard about those camps. Like you said, you and Dougie hopped in on. That's when Dale and my dad were like, hey, these guys seem to really know what they're doing. They run a sharp, organized camp. Um, let's hop in on this. Like you said, it's worth a two-hour drive one way and pay the 10 bucks to get a solid a four-hour baseball instruction. Um, so that was really the first time I'd been introduced to a camp that was run at the collegiate level. Um, and you talk about Clemson and what we do now, we run a couple of summer camps throughout the summer. We have various prospect camps and pop-up camps that we do. Um, but yeah, I mean that for us, it, but on a dog, it was a weekly camp. It was on the weekend. It was great. Um, but the camps help fund the programs at, you know, every level, whether it's high school or collegiate. Um, so that's, you know, at Clemson, we kind of do the same thing. If, if it's like, Hey, Let's see what we need. Is there a need? Let's run a pop-up camp every, you know, couple months. And then you never know who's going to show up. There's always guys that slip through the uh, cracks, whether local or from out of state. Um, I'm trying to think we just ran a prospect camp probably a, two or three weeks ago. And we had kids all the way from up in New York. We had a couple from Ohio, Wisconsin. So you never really know who's willing to show up and who's willing to make the effort. Um, but there's, I mean, I think I speak for me and you, there's, there's really good baseball in all parts of the country, not maybe just in the Texas and the Southeast or Arizona, California, there's some good players all over the country. So um, anytime we can 
have a chance and opportunity to see some more guys, whether it's within the state or without a state, we're going to jump on it. Absolutely. And I think Onondaga was such like a, they're ahead of their time because guys who are from our area out here in Western New York, it's such like a, Hey, that's such a staple to go to. That's going to move you on to the next level. So let's like, let's go back through you being a, you know, a high school guy who goes that far for travel stuff. And, you know, I remember you cleaning up the field with your dad here at Cooperstown after practice day in and day out after all of our practices. And it was like, you guys seem to put so much more into baseball. Give a, uh, a little perspective on a guy who's from anywhere who can just put enough into baseball that really will end up at the, the spot they want to, whether they're in the Northeast, the Southwest, anywhere out here. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, me and you, I think we realized that at a young age, that baseball was something we were passionate about. Here we are, you know, now in our early mid thirties and we both are still working in the game. So um, I think it's, it kind of goes back to that old saying of what you put into it is what you get out of it. And, you know, you and myself are two good examples of guys that we're like, Hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes to grind it out and travel and put in the extra hours, whether it's cleaning up baseball fields or picking up trash or driving to tournaments. It was something that we knew we wanted to do. So we put the effort in and fortunate enough, you know, we had the the backing from our parents and, and our teachers and our coaches. I mean, Mr. Myasek, Rich Jancy, guys at the gym who are willing to go the extra mile to spend the time with us, you know, that was developed not only as baseball players, but also as people, I think, helped us out tremendously. So, uh, I mean, talking to guys from all over the country, whether, you know, you might be in a small town, it really doesn't matter. If you're if you're willing to to work and grind, somebody will find you. You'll Good things happen to people who work hard and good things happen to good people is kind of the way I, I look at that. So, like, I guess you talk to these younger high school kids, keep working hard, keep your grades up, just – Whenever you think you've gone far enough, go a little further and good things will happen. And that brings me back to Glenn Noto jumping rope in the Cooperstown Redskins gymnasium. <laughs> Shout out to the Redskins that you're not allowed to be anymore. They're the Hawkeyes, I think now, right? <laughs> As a, uh, probably a, uh, a hall of famer there in Cooperstown, but Glenn Noto called me and Dougie out on our first day of arriving to practice. He said, Hey, it's seven OT. You're supposed to be here by seven. Get out of practice right now. And he threw us out of practice and wouldn't let us come back. He said, if you're ever late again, then you're not allowed to come back anymore. And an adult who holds you so accountable, an adult who isn't even the friggin' baseball coach, right? Like he's not even on yeah. our, like on our staff or involved in what we do, just meeting us before school and saying, Hey, I'm going to be here if you're going to be here, but you better be here when I tell you to be here. It was such like a, a next level kind of thing. And I remember walking through the blocking drills and the wiffle ball T drills and the front toss drills. Walk me through a little bit about like, how did you set yourself apart as a high school guy from Cooperstown versus like a, a Clemson commit who was head and shoulders above everybody else at your level? Yeah, I mean, you, like I, I just had mentioned, so you got we had so much support being in a small town, like I said, I for my family. And then you talk about you start talking about guys like Rich Jancy at the gym, who I started working out with when I was 14. That guy donated hours and hundreds and thousands of hours, helping me figure out what I needed to do in the weight room to get bigger and stronger. Uh, 
to Lanoto, we went sometimes it was five days a week, like 7 a.m. to 8 before class started. Uh, hundreds, thousands of hours they spent with us, Mr. Mai being those guys, um, not to mention all the teachers that would help us out if we needed help in the classroom. So, I mean, you talk about those people, it's it, it brings back a lot of really good memories. It was hard. Mr. Noto holding people accountable, you hit the nail on the head. He was really the first guy, I think, who was like, hey, you're late by a minute. That's unacceptable. Like you said, I don't care if there's two feet of snow. You can go wait outside and you can come back whenever they open the front doors when classes start. Um, but yeah, like we talked about having passion for the game. I was looking for anybody who was willing to help me make a jump, both like physically, athletically, academically. Um, and I was able to find a lot of those people within this small town of Cooperstown. Um, we all were. And like you find everybody's really willing to help. It's a tight knit community. Um, but yeah, like those are three names that countless, you know, thankless hours of helping all of us develop as as young guys and, and better baseball players and better students. I, like I'm on a tangent. I don't even remember what you asked me, but I'm just like fired up talking about all those names. But yeah, Mr. Noto was, I mean, absolute legend. I, he just retired. Shout out to him. You know, phenomenal career as a as an educator. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Good luck in retirement, Mr. Noto. You were awesome for, like Jim said, not even maybe the, the baseball coach, or the football coach, you were always involved. Like we had a lot of people like that. And, and it, you know, looking back now, you don't maybe realize at the time how fortunate we were to have people like that. Yeah, just like a teacher who's willing to jump rope for uh, an hour before school to yell at you about your form and your shoulder presses, right? Like you don't <laughs> understand <laughs> How much we had we, we had the uh, the old tennis can ball cans with full of mud and uh, athletic tape, and that was the first time we ever even knew what arm care was. You know, now it's such a staple, and what you're doing with pitchers, what we do with it, like arm care is such a staple. We were doing it with like sand filled tennis ball can. Yeah, and like that always brings me back to like, hey, if you're willing to try, like that might not be the best thing that we had going for us. It might not have been the the number one arm care you know routine for myself for doug for fook for you for anybody who's there but like we're committed to laying on the bench at 702 a.m and throwing those weights up over our head that are filled with dirty sand after a, a tennis ball can has been taped shut with all that baseball dirt like how do we get to a spot where there are so many guys working so hard. And I go back to the team we had when we were juniors, right? And I always, I tell lots of stories. We had six Juco guys. We had an NFL punter. We had a guy who was a division one shortstop, a Clemson university catcher and pitcher myself who ends up playing division one. And a lot of guys who kind of fall through the cracks because of academics, throw the academic stuff to our guys who are younger, who are listening, like how important is it to get to a Clemson, to get to a Virginia, to get to a, a Vanderbilt? If you're not going to have the grades, we can't even let you into school, let alone let you play baseball. Yeah, 100%. Like you just nailed it again. Academics, not something to overlook. Um, it's amazing how competitive schools have gotten, how difficult schools have gotten. Um you know, at Clemson, we're looking for guys not only who are top tier athletes, but we're also looking for guys who can handle themselves in the classroom as well. If you can't perform in the classroom, you won't be eligible 
to play for us in the spring, which means you're really going to be in the hub of the program. So building a good base on what you do in the classroom is really first and foremost, you got to be able to take care of that. I'm not saying, you know, obviously not everybody is a, a straight A student, but you have to bring the same mentality and worth work ethic you have on the field of how bad you want to play baseball, whether it's at the college level or the pro level and add that same mentality in the classroom work. Because if you're not, you know, a decent to above average student, schools just aren't going to have the opportunity to get you in the school. So um, like I said, we had the help from teachers who were willing to stay after tutor us. I think a lot of what it goes back for what we were doing though, um, is just the core of being kids as we were all competitive, you know, it started out with maybe one or two guys working with Mr. Noto. And then all of a sudden it was, well, if those guys are doing it, you know, I, I can do it. You know, if he can do it, I can do it. And you get back to that root of just pure competition, but we carried that over in the classroom too. You know, you wanted to, I, I personally, I wanted to beat everybody, like whether it was baseball, we played, you know, Clark's gym basketball ever since we were eight, nine years old, you guys probably longer than I did before I showed up, but you know, everybody was so rooted in wanting to beat and be better I think that really helped all of us too, whether it was on the athletic field or in the classroom. Yeah, and that competition thing is always, you know, you get the uh, the advantage as a as a Cooperstown student having the uh, the Clark Sports Center and having a gym where you can go lift, where you can go play basketball. Like, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, our students who are maybe in the Northeast, who are in the Northwest anywhere that there's snow, how do you stand out against, um, you know, guys who are in Florida and South Carolina and Texas and Southern California, how do we really stand out as a, uh, you know, a student athlete at, at that point outside of the classroom? I remember washing dishes at the yum, yum shack when Marisha Schwebka told me that Phil pole had signed his division one letter of intent. Now I have a regular, hourly job going, Hey, I'm doing the best I can for my family at this point and trying to get some money by my name. When you sign your division one letter of intent, how proud are we for Bruce, for Chris, for Andrew, for everybody in our family? Talk me through a little bit about the signing process with Clemson. Yeah. Well, to go back what you were talking about, like you talked about the kids in the Northeast, the Northwest with the snow, the weather is not an excuse, you know? On the flip side, just because you maybe live in California or Florida or South Carolina or Texas and the weather is great, like that's also not an excuse. You got to be able to, to play in the rough weather. Personally, I take a lot of pride in being from the Northeast, having that, you know, that weather chip on your shoulder. Like we talked about getting in the, the gym early when, you know, there's a foot of snow outside or something. I mean, there was times we'd go in, work out with Mr. Noto, and we'd be on a two-hour delay because of snow or they'd have a snow day and we'd just bounce after that. We'd get our workout on and we leave. So uh, to me, there was never like an excuse with the weather. It was something that was like, you know what? Good. Like these kids maybe down South get to go out and throw in the beautiful sun. Well, I'm going to throw in the snow today and I'm, I'm still going to get better. And that, like I said, it goes back to that initial uh, competitive atmosphere. Um, but, you know, having the opportunity to, to sign at Clemson and play four years at Clemson, and get my degree there, really great experience. Um my family is, and like I said, I talked about those guys, Mr. Noto, Mr. Mai, Rich Jancy, like it, it wouldn't have happened without the direction, the guidance from what those people are willing to do, the time they're willing to sacrifice. Uh, and I just appreciate, you know, the times they're willing to push me and, and give me the opportunity to get better and you know, use the knowledge they had that I didn't have at the time. You know, I was 
it was, it was really great. And I, for me, it wasn't just, Hey, I get to go to Clemson. It was, Hey, all this work that all these people did to help me out. It was, we, you know, we have the opportunity to keep playing. And um, I still keep in touch with a lot of those people. Uh, I managed my first game at Lansing shoot a year. I guess, guess it was a year ago. Mr. Noto was in the stands with his wife. He, he flew out there to see it. So uh, that to me made that really special as, it wasn't just me who had the opportunity to go to Clemson. It was all the people that had put the time in the team we had, you know, that junior year we had, you talk about some of the awesome athletes we had, you know, guys playing division one baseball. We had some really good teammates. We all pushed each other. So it was, it was big for everybody. Of course, of course. And a Noto coming out to a, a game where you, you manage in Lansing, right? Like all of a sudden, We've been the big league bullpen catcher. We've obviously gotten together a bunch on, on the field. You've seen guys like uh, Langoliers come through and everybody else. Like talk to me a little bit about the, the Oakland A's experience and how, uh, how excited we were to one, get that position and two like pay it forward to the guys who were coming up to our level and just put them on the field at the, uh, you know, the best ready position to compete. Yeah. uh, I mean, having the opportunity to play after college was a dream of mine since I was a kid. It was something I'd worked for my entire life. Um, It was a total culture shock going from four-year Clemson student athlete to uh, Mesa, Arizona, at uh, Papago Park spring training facility where, you know, all of a sudden the, the, the main language is Spanish. You know, I was like, Oh man, (laughs) this is a different world for me. Uh, Had the opportunity. That's right. Two yeah. thirds of our guys, you get out there and you're like, Hey, oh, I can't even talk to anybody. Right. Yeah. I, I remember I signed and my first contact um, was a guy, but he was a hitting coach for us with the A's um, in Arizona. Juan DeLanay was his name. And I remember I called him, had a tough accent. I could hardly understand him on the phone. I was trying to figure out, you know, where to meet a van that picked me up at the airport. And like, I was like, Oh man, I'm, I'm not in Cooperstown anymore and I'm not in Clemson anymore. So it's time to like make an adjustment at sink or swim kind of deal. You know, nobody's holding your hand here. Uh, but it was a great experience. I had the opportunity to play there for four seasons. And then, um, after that, my, you know, season ended a little shorter than I think every, everybody's does. I had the opportunity to keep working with the A's and, um, it was at a, at the big league level, which was, which is great working alongside that, those staff and those players for six seasons, um, really, really a great opportunity. I was able to learn a ton and, and wouldn't trade it for anything. Of course. And now uh, we're going to get really into that big league experience. And I recall Blake Treenan during his, uh, his absolute debt. I don't want to call it a devilish run. Cause he's such a, uh, such a holy guy, right? The absolute amazing run that he has all the way through being the closer of the year, being an all-star, being everybody. I remember getting together with you in Cleveland, grabbing beers, and you were like, hey, Blake asks me to be the guy in the bullpen who catches him before he goes out. Talk me through a little bit about just some of those big league guys who were such another level than we've ever been. And it's like, hey, we've been to Chatham a couple years. We've been through Cooperstown. We've been through Clemson, and it's like, all of a sudden it's just like, Hey, catching a hundred mile an hour sinkers becomes a staple in our life. Talk me through a little bit about how you move into that role and, you know, staying at the, uh, staying at the Ritz Carlton versus staying at the double tree. Yeah. Uh, definitely a, a change of pace for sure. Um, you know, you took, you mentioned guys like Blake trying, he, he was one of, 
you know, many that not only was I able to learn from, but like, it was really a great opportunity to just watch them in their careers. Blake having the career year he had, I think he set the record with the 0.7 ERA for the season, all-star. I mean, absolutely dominated that season. Um, and, you know, like a lot of the very successful big league guys are, especially bullpen guys, they're very routine oriented um, that, you know, they like, they know what they, it takes them to prepare. They go about their business like a pro. Um, I think part of his routine was like, Hey, I, I know you can warm me up. You let me know where it's at. If we're locked in, if I need to make a couple adjustments, which honestly I didn't ever have to, cause he was so locked in all the time. Anyway, I think it was just more or less, Hey, I'm part of the routine, which happy to be part of that routine. But like he was a stud. We had guys, Ryan Matson, you know, a veteran when he was with the A's, learned John Axford, who's stud closer for the Brewers and Rockies. And he pitched a couple of seasons with the A's. So, I mean, really getting it to rub elbows with some of these, you know, ten, five, eight, 10 year big leaders who'd been around, sustained a lot of great success was an amazing opportunity. And then, like you said, being able to, to see a lot of people that I, I worked with or grew up, we always met up in Cleveland. It was an easy drive from where you're at Cleveland or Toronto. Um, I remember like I'd always meet Nick Schifano up in, in Toronto and the Schifano family is, you know, a, a Cooperstown staple, but yeah, um, really, really great experience. Those guys, I mean, there, there's a reason the guys who stick around, stick around. It's they're on another level, both physically and mentally and, uh, you know, how they prepare and how they push their, their minds and their bodies is a reason why they're the best in the world. Absolutely. So if you've got a, a chance to walk us through being in the bullpen with a, a Blake or a, a Trevino or anybody like that, if you could give a young pitcher, any kind of advice, like from those guys, what are we kind of giving them as they work through their bullpens as a reliever, whether they're a starter, whatever it is, something that we take away from those guys that it was just like, Hey, they did it absolutely different than anybody we've seen before a gossip or a, uh, you know, a Khalil, anybody who, who we've been with before. Yeah. Um, you know, for young, especially young pitchers, um, having spent the majority of my time with the pitchers, but I mean, even, you know, young position guys too, uh, I think a good piece of advice is, be willing to to try new things, be willing to make adjustments. Um, there's more than one way to do a lot of things. And some of those guys, you know, everybody catches up with you at some point. They say the big leagues, it's, it's hard enough to get there. It's even harder to stay there. The guys who are able to adjust, reinvent themselves, um, you know, a lot of that has to do with it might be analytics or certain guys, like especially at a young age, uh, these young athletes, myself included, I, I don't necessarily know what is optimum performance for me? Like what makes a lot of these guys so successful? What I found is how they prepare, right? So when you're young, when you're 12, 13, 16 years old, you know, you might be doing something that you think makes you feel really good and you don't know for sure. Cause you, maybe you haven't tried other things. So I would, I would challenge these guys to say, Hey, try other things, try different arm care. If it works great. If not go back to where you have a standard um, pitchers, check out different grips, throw different breaking balls, try a sinker, try a two seam, tinker with your slot. Um, and, but just like have the confidence that, Hey, at the end of the day, it's hitter versus pitcher. You're going to compete. Um, you got to be a competitor, but don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to, to push yourself, listen to other guys, listen to new coaches. Uh, it's amazing how, how vast the, the knowledge pool comes from. It's not just, Hey, Cooperstown, New York to Clemson, South Carolina, you're talking with guys who played all over the world in Japan and Dominican Republic, 
uh, Hawaii, like Hawaii everywhere. There's different styles of baseball being played all over the world. So don't be afraid to just at the very least, listen to other opinions on how to do things and then try when you can implement when you can and, and kind of be a sponge and be able to adjust when need be. Of course. And like, as a catcher, I remember getting to Anaheim and I brought up, I had like a, a huge presentation on arm care and plyo balls and all this stuff. And our catching coordinator kind of stood up at the end of it. And he looks down the table of all the way to our minor league operations director. And he's like, Hey, that was a really good presentation on why our pitchers do what they do. Why the heck don't our catchers do that? Why don't our shortstops do that? Why don't our third baseman and outfielders do that? And it was kind of like, Oh my gosh, we're behind a bunch of other teams who are already probably doing that. And I remember going like looking at him and being like, why, why don't the shortstops do that? Why don't the catchers do that? Like he's so right that, Hey, you've learned from so many different places and so many different organizations. Talk to me a little bit just about like in high school, I remember playing first base and you being on the mound and kids getting to first base after a walk rare walk, right? Rare walk. However, they were like, dude, this kid throws absolute fuel. What am I supposed to do? And every time I'm on the mound, I'm like, Hey, I can hang for a second and a half and go to the plate because this dude from behind the plate throws absolute fuel. Talk to me a little bit about the arm strength, the arm care stuff. Like, was it the Syracuse guys? Was it someone we met along the way? I remember Mr. Picorni kind of doing your perfect game videos and some of our sophomore, you know, dynasty, uh, dynasty bat videos. How did we get to the point where it was like, man, this dude really belongs at Clemson. And I even recall the tigers cross checker, the twins cross checker coming out to our practice field in the middle of nowhere of Cooperstown to watch a dude like yourself throw down to watch him hit, to watch him do all these things. How would you recommend a guy from the middle of nowhere, really getting these guys who are decision makers to come out? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I would say, I don't know if it would be a arm care program. I, like I said, we, we tried whatever was available to us, whether it was, um, the tennis ball cans filled with sand from Mr. Noto, whether it was, I mean, for me, I think a really big part of it, uh, myself, old buddy of mine, Chris Galata, we were playing basketball at the Clark sports center. And that's when we got hooked up through Chris's dad with Rich Jancy over there. And he was like, Hey, I'm going to try to, you know, you guys come in a couple of times a week and I'll put together a strength conditioning program and lift some weights. I had no idea what I was doing in the weight room. I'd never lifted a weight before in my life. I was 14 years old. And, and here's this guy who had been um, really the sports performance director down there at the Clark's gym for X amount of years. Uh, he was a volleyball coach at the high school. So like he had ties to Cooperstown high school and we're like, yeah, sure, man, H help us out. We, you know, obviously we're two little scrawny kids. We can Take we'll, all that. We'll, we'll do anything you ask us yeah. to do, right? And I think that's that's really where the foundation got started for, for Chris and myself is, you know, we were trying to get better for basketball season. We were maybe a little slower, didn't jump as high. Um, we were just following the footsteps of Shane Connolly. I remember that name. So Shane had worked with Rich. Dude was an awesome basketball player. Went on to, uh, I think he played semi-professionally a little bit, and then he was head strength conditioning guy at St. Mary's out in, in California. But yeah, and uh, he was at, he was at St. Lawrence College, I believe, yeah. when he when he left high school, and it was always yep. like, 
his mom was the front desk lady at the gym and you were at like, the gym. Hey, well, Shane was, I wonder, was, I wonder why Shane's always at the friggin' gym. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were like, you look at a guy like that. Shane was always in there shooting, right? Had the best three point shot and probably all upstate New York. Like people knew who Shane Conley was, but it wasn't because he just showed up and was talented. Shane was like super, super driven guy. So I remember being probably what we were three, four years younger than Shane looking up to a guy like him and saying, man, that guy is a really good athlete. Like he's a really good basketball player. What's he doing that I can mirror myself and how I can like, what is he doing? Let me see if I can mimic it and I can get a little bit better. So roundabout way to answer your question. For me, it started with, with Rich at the gym. And like I said, the people who were willing to help Rich was, I mean, hours of time in the weight room and helped us with form and uh, jump and sprint and speed. So I think I had a, a, a little bit of a head start on a lot of the, you know, the people we were competing against in upstate New York, because not many people had access to that. So that was where maybe that started. I, I can tell you, like from there, it was people like Glenn Noto and the uh, Chris Ross and Syracuse and Tim Alexander and those guys who were able to take the, the baseball kind of to a next level. So combining the strength foundation at the Clark Sports Center with Rich and then getting a little bit higher, you know, baseball education from guys like Dickie Woodridge and Tim Alexander. Uh, I mean, but even then when I got to college, I was like, Oh my God, I'm way behind. You know, I, I had a pretty good high school career, feel pretty good about going to college and you show up and you're like, okay, like these guys are throwing upper eighties to low to mid nineties, like something I haven't seen. So it was, Hey, get right back to square zero. What can you do to be successful? Who can you watch to mirror what they're doing? And, and that's really kind of what I did the majority of my career was it, like, wherever you go, there's always going to be somebody a little better. So just keep working, keep grinding. Well, that's it, man. And I, I appreciate you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Thank you for listening to Holding Down the Fort. This is Jimbo Fort reminding you to hold it down. Be on the lookout for our new merch. Anybody who has any questions for the show or for our guests on the show, please email us at holdingdownthefortpod at gmail.com. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube for all the latest updates and to hold it with us. Thank you again. We look forward to having you back for the next episode.